Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He goes from calling people to repentance and preparation for the Lord to pointing people to the Lord, calling them to consider their need for Christ, appointing them to the one who came to die for their sin. If you do that, you have to point them to the solution. You just can't say, well, I recognize the problem and I'd like to see you do better. In today's broadcast, we have a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, Behold the Lamb of God. We're in the first chapter of the book of John, beginning in verse 19 and going through the end of the chapter. We're looking at the testimony of John the Baptist regarding Jesus Christ and the gathering of the first disciples to Jesus. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 through 51, title of our study this morning, Behold the Lamb of God. John 1, 19 through 51, Behold the Lamb of God. We read here in verse 19, Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. We begin with John's testimony, and two things are absolutely essential for one called as a witness. First, is the witness trustworthy? Second, is his testimony true? Because you could be trustworthy and confused. There are a lot of people like that in the world. They believe what they're saying. It doesn't make what they're saying true. So it's two tests. Is the witness faithful, trustworthy, dependable, reliable? And the second is the testimony he's making true. Now, we read in verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It wasn't really their question, or was it? They said, are you the one? Are, are you the, the, the one who's to come? Are you the Christ? And he just says, well, well, I'm, I'm not the Christ. I like that. They actually didn't ask straight up if he was the Christ, but this had to be on their mind. Why? They were anticipating, they were expecting the Messiah to come. And there were a lot of people on board with this, so much so that at his birth, Herod was able to gather some of the religious leaders and say, hey, where's he going to be born? Because he heard word that a young one was being born who would eventually rule. This troubled him, of course, because you can't have two kings in the same place. So he wanted to know, and they knew it would be Bethlehem. They knew it was this time because there were prophecies that led them to this season, you see. So 
They're anticipating and expecting the Messiah to come in their day. So it's certainly on their mind. Second thing they ask him is, are you Elijah? And he again, verse 21 says, I am not. Malachi 3.1 often make reference to the fact that, that Malachi said that, well, there would be a forerunner before the Lord. And this is the passage we often mention, but don't read to you. Today, we're going to read them and, and log them so they'll be permanently embedded in our memories. Behold, I send my messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Their next question, still in verse 21, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Both Moses and the Lord who commissioned him and empowered him and worked in and through him, both testified that there would be another like him. It's Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18, 15 for you note jotters, and then Deuteronomy 18, 18, the first reads like this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brethren, him you shall hear. That's Moses being, you know, letting them know the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me. Now, God himself speaks in Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Well, anyway, they're expecting Elijah. They're expecting the Christ. They're expecting the prophet. John is none of those. Then they said to him, verse 22, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah again spoke of a promised forerunner who would prepare the way for the Lord, who would make people ready for our Lord's coming, first coming. Now, this is important because the Pharisees are actually the Jews that sent the priests and Levites. We learned that in verse 24. Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. These guys were well-versed in the scripture. They were experts in the word of God. In fact, they loved it. They studied it. They, they shared it. They encouraged everyone, exhorting everyone to be obedient to it. They had only one problem related to it, and it's our problem. They didn't always obey it. They thought they were. And then Jesus would have to, well, clarify some things. They thought, well, I've never committed adultery, so I'm not an adulterer. But he said, have you looked on a woman to lust? Because if you have, you committed adultery in your heart. I've never murdered anyone. He says, have you ever hated anyone? Because if you have, murders in your heart. So Jesus was clarifying for the most conservative religious leaders of his day exactly what the word was actually trying to say. All that brings us to this. 
These guys knew the book of Isaiah inside and out. And there are so many prophecies related to the Lord in Isaiah, perhaps a book more full of them than any other. But Isaiah 40, verse 3, listen, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Just that Isaiah starts that way and they say, who are you? Then he says, I'm a voice. I'm the voice. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain, hill, and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight. The rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And when he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass and its loveliness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's a powerful passage. It's pointing to the coming of the forerunner of Christ. It's pointing to the reality of the coming of Christ. It's reminding us that life's short, judgment follows, so be prepared. And it's reminding us that the word of God stands forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus will later say, but my words will never pass away. Well, verse 24 here, I read it and mentioned it. Those who were sent was of and were from the Pharisees. They would have immediately recognized that he was speaking from Isaiah. The sharper and younger of them would have said, that's Isaiah 40. The really sharp ones would have said, verse 3. It's like when you read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're familiar with the Old Testament and you read that in the New, you know it begins Psalm 22. So important. So, so they ask him, he could have said a lot of things, but he points them to Isaiah knowing if they read on, which they certainly would, well, they would see a lot more of what was taking place and hopefully, and this is his hope and prayer, that they would begin to connect the dots. Well, they ask him saying then, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now, he doesn't answer their question again. Rather than answering the question directly, he shares with them what he feels is more important than revisiting the fact that he's none of those. He wants to point them to Jesus. So he immediately goes there. And it's a good example for us. When people try to say, well, what about this? Or how about this? Or how about that? He said, well, let me tell you something. He says, John, John verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. John's saying, look, you know what I'm doing, but what's really important is why I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. There's one among you. It's time to prepare for the coming of the Lord. 
So he called everyone to repentance. Repent was the one word you always would hear from John. And those who came to him were from all different walks of life. Some were religious leaders, some were military leaders, some were commoners, some were serious sinners. And, and by that, I just mean dedicated to sin, right? Not just every now and then falling into it. They were doing what doctors do, practicing medicine. And they were practicing sin, perfecting the art. But once convicted, they all came saying the same thing. Well, what do I need to do? They recognized that simply testifying of their repentance through baptism would be assigned to everyone outwardly. But what was God who sees the heart looking for inwardly? And so he tells the soldiers, hey, don't abuse people. Don't take advantage of your post. Be satisfied with your, your pay. He tells others exactly what they needed to know. He described what repentance would look like for each of them, since not all of them were engaged in the same types of sin. So he's saying the real issue here isn't what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. There's one standing among you and you don't recognize him. He's coming after me, but he was preferred before me. Now get this. You should know this. John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. John was born six months before Jesus. They grew up together then. They would have been at the feast yearly. Their folks would have certainly had them there. They would have fellowshiped. And because they were a little unique, very different from each other, but they were very much like each other when it came to things spiritual. These guys, John and Jesus, well, they stood out among the crowds, and, and nevertheless, not everybody knew Jesus. John didn't even know that he was the Messiah. We'll read that here in a moment, but here he's just, at this point, he's realized it because he's, he's talking about having baptized him and such. It is he coming after me, preferred before me. Why? Well, he was before him. He was the creator, as we saw in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were created by Him. Nothing was made that uh, He did not make. So, so John is recognized at this point what's going on. And the next day, and this is so important because he goes from calling people to repentance and preparation for the Lord to pointing people to the Lord. And I want to say, if we're going to do the first, if we're going to tell people, listen, God has a better plan for you. And the way you're living, the things you're doing, they're self-destructive, they're damaging to your family, they're damaging to your friends, they're bad for you. I care about you. And I want you to do what's best for you. I care about your family. If you do that, you have to point them to the solution. You just can't say, well, I recognize the problem and I'd like to see you do better. Now we get to see exactly how you go from calling them to consider their need for Christ to pointing them to the one who came to die for their sin. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a radical exhortation. Behold the Lamb of God. And a more radical revelation. 
who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, John says, of whom I said, after me comes a man who's preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, and by that he means I didn't recognize him, um, uh, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. He knew it was time. He knew it was, well, prepare the people. The Lord is coming. The king is coming. And he would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That could only be true if the king was at hand as well. So, he says, I didn't recognize him, but I knew he would soon be revealed to Israel. So I came preparing people by baptizing them with water. John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I did not know him. Again, a reference to saying, I didn't know he was the Messiah, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, and who is that he? The Father speaks directly to John, and he says, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I made mention, I believe in our introduction last time, that in every chapter you'll have at least one declaration or one revelation or some radical thing that happens that points to Jesus as the Son of God and God the Son. Those who say he never claimed to be God or the Bible doesn't say he was God, they're just not reading the word. And they certainly haven't read John. And if they did, they didn't understand or pay attention. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He started the book like that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, John 1:14. So twice, just in that section, well, there's a declaration that Jesus is, in fact, God. This will be the third time, and there'll be two more in this chapter. So we don't have to read every chapter to find multiple references to the fact that Jesus is God the Son and the Son of God. But here he says, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John knew Jesus, but he needed a revelation from heaven to recognize that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, the only hope of mankind. And by the way, if you go back and read through Isaiah, you will find passages where Isaiah says, I'm God and I'm the only God and there'll be no other. There were none before me. There'll be none after me. I am the only Savior a just God. And listen, when Jesus comes on the scene and says, before Abraham was, I am. I love that. He's saying, I'm God. And I existed before Abraham. And I'm, by the way, as we learned last week, creator of all things. Well, if it took a revelation from heaven for John to process that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God and God the Son. Well, it would take the same thing for those of us who've yet to come to the Lord or those we're sharing the Lord with. 
We need to pray that God will open eyes, that God will soften hearts, that God will make his word real to those who hear. And listen, I'm always praying that every time we gather together, my prayer is, Lord, make your word alive to every person. I know it is alive, but you know people read it and say, oh, I just didn't understand a word of it. They don't all talk like that, but um, <laughs> teaching them teaching the grandkids and some of the other kids in Hope Academy the other day, I was talking to four of them and they're, they're little. They're with my grandson, Luke, but they're all about nine or 10 years old and they're sitting at a table and, and one of them said, I saw you, I heard you on the radio. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, that was awesome. And I'm like, well, did you know I'm on TV too? And he's like, what? You're famous. And I go, not really, but, but if I was or... Or am, it's only for Jesus because I'm always about him. If you hear me, if you see me, and you know, anyway, that's, that's what's going on. And I said, did you know, if you're all about Jesus, you'll be famous too. And they're like, what? All four of them kind of perk up. And I said, at least in God's eyes. And that's what matters, right? Fame in man's eyes? Hey, Trump has that. Who wants that? You know, I'm happy here. <laughs> And, and I want to say, though, I told them, they go, well, what do we need to do? I said, well, first you need to learn to share the Lord. How do we do that? I said, well, one of you needs to talk to the other one and practice together. And I said, here's what you do. One of you is going to be the guy who says, hey, have you heard anything about Jesus? Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? And, and, uh, and the cutest little guy, uh, 10 years old anyway, uh, he, he's like, oh, I want to do that part. And I'm like, okay, you got it. And, and then, then my grandson, I said, the other one's going to have to say, well, I don't know anything about that. I, I, I never heard about Jesus. And, and my grandson, Louis, like, I can do that part because we play this game at home. And, and anyway, it was just cool because then Jody came over and we got in a conversation with people. And this is all at lunch in our lobby area, our cafe. And so um, anyway, at the end of all of this, we're talking for like five or 10 minutes and I get done and I look over and they're actually doing it. And I'm thinking if 10 year olds could take that seriously and prepare themselves to actually share the Lord with someone, well, maybe you guys might want to try the same. So we're going to all pair up right now and um, <laughs> we don't have time for that. But anyway, I do want to encourage you. If you're like, well, I don't know, I get all tongue-tied and, you know, start getting my merds wixed up, and you know what can happen. <laughs> well, don't worry about that. If you need to practice, practice, but, but it's a simple message. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God, everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not that complicated. It's not a lot to understand or memorize. But then you have to pray that God will open up their eyes and, and open up their ears, that they will have what we've experienced, those of us in Christ, a revelation from heaven. And by the way, that has to continue. God, through his spirit, opens up the word to us. He convinces us it's true. It's the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, who convicts us of sin, of righteousness and judgment to come. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who seals us until the day of redemption when we open our heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. He comes into our life in the person of the Holy Spirit, who then begins to teach us and remind us he's the comforter, consoling us when we're 
down and hurting and, and he's the teacher and he's the reminder and he's the revealer of things to come. As Pastor Sam said, closing out today's broadcast, we are to be prepared and ready to give the message of salvation to others. The biggest thing I believe that gets in our way is that we worry what other people are going to think. But that's not really our problem. We have no control over that. However, the Holy Spirit does. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and what he will do in John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. We will never be judged for not changing people's minds, but we will be judged by what we did with what we were given. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.